Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And there they are. They lay the body down. They reverently begin to wash it. They wash off the dust, and then they look. They say, oh... It's the blood. Here's the blood. And they're looking at that blood on the body, and they're looking at the blood, and they're saying, this is the blood. This is the blood of my warrior savior that bought my redemption. They're, th- they're, th- they're thinking the words of 1 Peter 1.18. We were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And here it is right in front of us, And so as they begin to wash the blood off of the body, I'm sure they were thinking of, oh, wait, maybe they were talking among themselves, and maybe they were saying, you remember the Passover, the first Passover back in Exodus 12, 13? In Exodus 12, 13, where God had told each one of the families of Israel, blood is a token to you. It's a token to you on your houses where you are. He told them, he said, you go to the doorpost there. You put it on the top. You put it on the two sides. You watch that you see that blood. I'll see that blood. And when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. I'm going to skip you. The angel of death will not destroy you, destroy your firstborn like like he's going to destroy all the firstborns throughout Egypt. And so just imagine Nicodemus and Joseph now seeing this blood, and they say, it's like the blood of the first Passover. It's like the blood of the first Passover. It's like the blood of Leviticus 17.11. The blood where God said, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I gave it to you with a gift. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. They're looking at the blood and they're saying, this is the blood. Nicodemus says to Joseph, Joseph, this is the blood that makes an atonement for our souls. And you just imagine... How those fathers, on the day after the Passover, after the terrible night, how they went to their doors, and as they washed off the blood that was on the door, they just paused for a moment and said, that was the blood that protected my family from my firstborn dying. That was the blood that protected my family from death. Here it is. And so there they're doing the same thing as they're washing the blood off, and they're saying that. And we could just imagine how they stopped and how they thought, behold the blood Behold the blood. Whenever you think about this, I don't know, for me, I I just have this one uh, thought about them preparing this body for burial, and that was that when I was growing up, I was a little kid, my mom remarried, and my stepfather was a writer, Ezra Goodman, and and I remember he came and, and he had this painting. It was a magnificent painting that he put up in the living room. It was by Mexico's most famous artist, Diego Rivera, who was part Jewish and did the big mural in the, in the Jewish Community Center down in Mexico City. He did the murals all over the University of Mexico. But this was a beautiful mural. It was about seven feet tall 
about five feet wide, and it was of an Aztec warrior, an Aztec warrior chief who had died. And he was laying there in his grave, and they just had adorned him all over his head and his body with beautiful flowers. And there he was lying there with his spear. And that picture just reflected honor and respect and reverence for this great warrior. That's what they were doing. They were burying their great warrior, their great warrior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they're burying, as they're preparing the body, you can imagine them weeping as they are. And as they're weeping, they're thinking to themselves, a woman came one time with an alabaster box. She was a great sinner. And she anointed his feet. And then she washed his feet with his tears. And here we are washing his body with our tears. And so they're thinking about this. And then they begin to prepare the spices. Now the spices, in order to be prepared at that time, they had to be melted. So they were melted in oil. So that way they kind of dissolved and infused this oil. It became very aromatic. And so they apply the body they apply the oil onto the body, and then they begin to wrap. They wrap the body with the clean white linens, the purity, and they think to themselves, it's correct. It's correct that we should wound him in these white linens because he never lost his temper. He never lashed out at his accusers. He never reviled again. He never, all he ever did is for his accusers is just pray that the father would forgive them because they didn't know what they did. But as they did that, the linens became also infused with the perfume. So they also were smelling of this perfume. And as that happened, it was almost like a fulfillment of Psalm 45.7. Psalm 45.7, which says, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness, therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. So here he is, he has the, his garments are now having this wonderful perfume, this wonderful scent that's going through, and he's got a new tomb there, almost like an ivory palace, and they lay him down there. And as they put these clothes on him, those clothes were just temporary. They were just temporary. He's not going to wear them for very long for about three days to be exact. And then after that, he's going to leave them behind. It's a great encouragement for us when we come to die as well, just temporary. And now it talks about that he's in a garden. He's in a garden where there's a new sepulcher. There's an emphasis here in verse 41 of the fact that it's a brand new sepulcher. No one's ever been in it before. It's a new tomb. No one's ever been in it before. And it's in a garden. A garden. Isn't that appropriate? A garden. A garden, because it was in the Garden of Eden where all of this trouble began. It was in the Garden of Eden where the grave got its power over man, where death got its power over man in a garden. So here we are, back in another garden now, where the grave is going to lose its power over man, and death is going to lose its power over man when he rises triumphantly over death. And how interesting that he, it says he was laid in a garden. It was just like a time when he said earlier, he began to speak about his suffering, and he said it was a glorification in John 12, 23. John 12, 23, when he said, Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, which is what he did. It abideth alone. But if it die, which is what happened to him, 
it bringeth forth much fruit. Brings forth much fruit. He's the corn of wheat that's fallen into the ground and died, and now he's going to bring forth much fruit. What's the fruit? What's the fruit? The fruit is Isaiah 26, 19. Isaiah 26, 19 states clearly, because God says, thy dead men shall live. That's us. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. That's him. He's in other words, awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust, for dew is cast as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. That's the fruit. Thy dead men shall rise. We will rise with him. How? Together with my dead body shall they arise. And that's what happened. Hallelujah to the Lord, as Christian would say. Praise to the Lord. Now, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, 1 Thessalonians 4.14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him, together with my dead body, shall they arise. Shall they arise. Now, it makes this point, as I was mentioning here in verse 30, 40, 41, verse 41, that this was a new grave. It had never been used before. Isn't that interesting? It's a new grave. What's a new grave? It's a virgin tomb. He came to the world through a virgin womb, and now he's going to leave the world through a virgin tomb, through a virgin tomb. It's just like a hotel. It's just like when he got in there and he laid down, and they laid him down, they said, that's okay, because I'm going to check out in three days. And he did. And he checked out of that hotel. That was not his final resting place. And never, ever look at a grave and say, that's my final resting place. It's not. It's not. It wasn't for him. It wasn't for us. It's just a temporary hotel, a temporary place. So the two men, they finish their work because it's the Sabbath. It's very, very critical on the time there. They look around. They, there's no time to go to Bethany, no time to go any other place. They say, oh, look, here's a tomb right here. Look, quick, let's put him in here. It's the, the sundown's coming. And that's how they got him in there at that place there. Days pass. Now the first day of the week on Sunday, in verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1, chapter John 20, verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. She can't wait. It's dark. She gets up in the night and she goes there early in the morning. She goes there. Why? She's the only one who's spoken of like that that gets up so early to see because this is a woman, Mary Magdalene, in whom much has been forgiven and so that determines the measure of her love. She deeply loves the Lord because it says in Luke 8 2, Luke 8 2, Mary called Magdalene out of whom went seven devils. She's been delivered from seven devils by the Lord and so she's first there and she discovers that the Lord is gone and then she comes back in verse 2, and she runs, and she tells the other. She said, they take away the Lord. I know not where they have laid him. Some churches, some churches speak so little about the Lord, but when you sit there for a sermon, you say that to yourselves. They say, they've taken away the Lord. I don't know where they laid him. <laughs> Anyways, just imagine her surprise at this wonderful discovery. But on the other hand, she, she didn't really say it as so wonderful because she thought the worst. She thought the worst. She, thought, she said, she ran back, she said, they stole the body of the Lord, and we don't know where he is. This is a horrible tragedy. You know, this is kind of interesting. This is the beginning of the discovery of the resurrection at what happened. It's the greatest message that's ever come to mankind, and she puts the spin of the oh no on it. 
Oh, no, what a tragedy. The body's been stolen. She didn't say, maybe the body's been stolen. She said, no, the body's been stolen. I tell you, the body's been stolen. It wasn't the, oh, my, what a blessing, the resurrection. When you look at that, you look at Mary and you say, yep, that's me. That's me. I always gravitate toward the worst. I always gravitate toward the worst interpretations. Never the best, always the worst. I'm always thinking, oh, no, and God has got much better things But she should have thought, she should have thought because he said so many times that he was going to rise from the dead. Like in Luke 18, Luke 18, he said, 1832, he says, 1832, I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me. They're going to spitefully entreat me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to put me to death. And on the third day, he shall rise again. But she didn't think that. She just said, no. And so how exciting it was that for the angels, and they couldn't understand why he, she was weeping. They said, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? This is so terrific. This is so wonderful. But the angels had the privilege of making the announcement of the resurrection. Oh, I can imagine, you know, one angel pushing the other. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You know, but, but they, that's what they did at the, at the birth of the Lord. At the birth of the Lord, they were there and they were speaking to the shepherds and they said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That was their announcement. That was their privilege. And now they also have the privilege of making this great announcement in Matthew 28, 6. Matthew 28, 6. He's not here. He's risen. He's not here. He's risen. Oh, and then Peter and John, they run to the grave there. And now there's something very interesting here because when you look at verses 6 and 7, John 20, verse 6 and 7, there's a real, real focus here on the clothes. It says here that, that Simon Peter, then come a sight of Peter following him and went into the sepulcher, John 20, verse 6. And seeth the linen clothes lie, then it's talking about a napkin. And the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. You know, the resurrection has two messages. The first message is that we've been talking about it. Yes, triumphant, rising from the grave, our victor, our warrior savior in heaven. But there's also another message. And that message is, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And that's what we say always in the communion when I say that whenever you, whoever takes this cup and this bread, you do show forth the Lord's death until he come. He's coming back. He's coming back. And so what happened is that Peter, he sees this pile of grave clothes and Joseph and Nicodemus that, that had put on him for his burial. And then Peter sees this napkin that was on his head. It was, so here's this pile of clothes lying there separately. And then there's a napkin all by itself. That was a signal. That was a signal napkin. That was a signal. You know, in the Middle East, it works like this. You take a napkin, and you've, you're, you're, you're eating. You say, you know what? I got to get up. I got to go to the bathroom, whatever. I got to go do something. And, but no, no, no. You're like this. Okay, I'm all done. Okay, I'm all done. So you go, where's the... Re-? Okay, here, let's throw that in. That's what you do. You go, oh, no, no. It's okay. There you go. And you throw the napkin down with the other napkins, and that means you can clean up my place. I'm not coming back. I'm, uh, thanks for the meal. It's great. I'm going away. Well, on the other hand, you go, you go, I just got to go away for a little bit. I got to do something. I'll come back. So you take the napkin like this, and you go like that, fold it up real nice, like, yeah, I'm coming back. I'm going to return. That's what he did when it says the napkin was by itself. It was the signal. It was the message, I'm coming back. 
I'm coming back. And that's the message of the resurrection as well. I'm coming back. He intends to come back. Now, John's reaction to seeing the Lord not in the grave, he looks there and it says in verse 8, he says, he believed. John looked at it and he believed. That's the beginning of belief in the resurrection. That's the beginning. of The majority of the disciples, they didn't believe. Why? Because it says, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Boy, does that show you the power of the scriptures? They knew not the scriptures. They would have believed if they knew the scriptures, but they didn't know it yet. It shows us that the scriptures, it has the power to generate faith and belief in us. That's what the power of the scriptures is. So that's why we live in the scriptures, because as the more we're in the scriptures, the more it's like a hybrid engine inside of us generating electricity faith. So it generates, we read, and as we read, it generates faith. And so, but some of the some of the believers there, they saw the angels, some didn't, some didn't. Angels, they have the power. They can appear, they can, they can, they can, they can disappear. But it was a tough two days. Between the time when he was when he was buried until he rose from the dead was a really rough days. It was very, very hard. It was days of discouragement. It was days of depression. We read about that in the two on the road to Emmaus. They were so so sad and, and talking, and he and the Lord draws near to him and said, Why are you so sad? They were so depressed. But they continued on and they persevered on. Just like it says in Hosea 6:2. Hosea 6:2, after two days he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we might live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. That's Now, Mary is interesting about her. She's the only one. If you want to give a title for Mary, you say she's the weeping one. She's the crying one. Only one who is recorded who is the one who is crying. She's crying. She has a broken heart. She's the, she's the person with the broken heart. And so God comes to her with a special promise of, of Psalm 34:18. Psalm 34:18 is right for Mary when it says, "The Lord is near, He's nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as of a contrite spirit." So there she is. She's seeking the Lord, she has a broken heart, and she's the type of every person who seeks the Lord Jesus Christ, He will be near to that person. But if a person just sits back and says, "Well, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, it's interesting. Can you provide some more proof to me so I might be convinced? That's not a seeking heart. That's not a broken heart. That's not a merry heart. But for the person who says, oh, God, I must have you, God's right there. So the key for the person to find the Lord Jesus Christ is this broken heart, this seeking, seeking heart, because he said to Israel in Isaiah 45, 19, Isaiah 45, 19, I did not speak in secret, not in a dark place. I didn't say to the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. Go look for me and you'll never find me. No, not at all. So she's looking and she's asking this one and that one, where's the body, where's the body? She thinks it's the gardener. Well, I gotta find the dead body of the Lord Jesus. The live body of the Lord Jesus is speaking to her. She doesn't know. Boy, wasn't that something where that, that God did for her exceeding abundantly about whatever she could ask or think. But she's crying. She's crying. You know, it's interesting what God says about people who cry. God says about a person who has a broken heart and cries, does God care? Psalm 56.8. Psalm 56.8 says, Thou tellest my wanderings 
You put thou my tears into thy bottle, and they are written in thy book. They're written in the book. God bottled up Mary's tears. He bottled them up, and he wrote them in a book. Imagine that. God has a book called the Book of Tears. And that's why the Lord Jesus chose Mary to reveal to her, first of all, that he had risen from the dead. And how did he reveal it? He spoke her name. He said her name. And in verse 16, Jesus saith to her, Mary. That's all he said, just her name. And then she responded. You know, it's just this, it's so precious to look at the Lord like the good shepherd in John 10, verse 3, John 10, verse 3, where he says, he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. John 10, 27, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life that shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So she responds, and when, it's, when, she said, when he says Mary, and so identifies himself, it's just like Joseph. Just like Joseph, when his brothers are standing in front of him, they don't know it's Joseph. And Mary supposed him to be the gardener. They supposed him only to be the governor of Egypt. And then all of a sudden, he breaks the silence of it all and breaks the, 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 the darkness of it all by saying your name, Mary. And she says, oh, you're Rabboni, you're Jesus. And all of a sudden, Joseph breaks the silence of it all in Genesis 45, verse 3. Genesis 45, verse 3, Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. And, and, and they were troubled at his presence. They were shocked. They absolutely could not. They could not believe it. Just going to be like the time when the Lord Jesus is going to return to Israel, not very far long away, we believe, when all the nations of the world are going to rise together to destroy, they're going to say, we finally now have the final solution. We are the final solution. We're going to kill all the Jews. And they rise all together in Jerusalem to kill them all, and they do succeed in killing two-thirds. The one-third that's remaining, the Lord Jesus says, that's enough. He comes down, puts his foot down on the Mount of Olives, destroys all those nations that have come to destroy them, and then they're looking at him just like she looked at him, thought it was a gardener, just like they looked at him, thought he was only the governor of Egypt. They will look at him, and they don't know who he is, but somebody, somebody is going to say, uh, uh, um, uh, in Zechariah 13.6, Zechariah 13.6, uh, the, the hands, the hands, the hands, the hands, uh, one shall say unto him, what are those wounds in your hands? And he shall answer, oh, oh, these wounds, these wounds, oh, that's where I was wounded in the house of my friends. And, oh, they're going to realize that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And then it's going to be Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, my friends, whom my friends have pierced. And there's going to be such a mourning. There's such a mourning. And then when Mary realizes that it's the Lord Jesus, she says, Rabboni. Now, Rab means master. Rabbi or rabbi means my master. Be careful who you call rabbi. It means my master. Rabboni means my great master, my great master. And then she runs back and she tells them all, he's alive, he's alive. And it's just like the brothers running back to Jacob in Genesis 45, 26, Genesis 45, 26, and they told him saying, Joseph is yet alive. And Jacob's heart fainted, he didn't believe him. So this is the resurrection. This is the resurrection, which is, as Christian was saying, it's not just an event, it's a person, but it's also the resurrection of our hope, our hope beyond the grave, our hope beyond death, our hope 
to triumph over our greatest enemy, our hope for our future, that when he was raised from the dead. When he was raised from the dead, it was our guarantee. The Lord is risen. Risen indeed, amen. Praise the Lord for him. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.